So hi everyone, thank you for being in this tutorial uh, on Malmo, multi-engine reform learning in Minecraft. Uh, so it's a bunch of us uh, presenting this, uh, Martin, Bala, Marco, Dot, uh, myself from Queen Mary, and Sam, uh, Sam Deblin from uh, Microsoft Research. Uh, so, so we're very happy to be showing you a little bit about Malmo, uh, some of the work that you can do with Malmo, with the Malmo platform, which is developed by Microsoft, um, and we'll be working with uh, for a few months. Uh, and also the kind of uh, works that uh, uh, some of us have done uh, in this in this platform. So I'll just give a brief introduction before uh, my colleagues continue talking to you about the framework, about the work, the games, and so on. Uh, so the, the this is a, the tutorial structure. Uh, we'll start talking a little bit about the uh, multiplayer games that we have uh, in Malmo. Uh, then how can you train RL agency in Malmo for uh, in multi-agent and single-agent and multi-agent settings? And then we'll talk a little bit about how what are the open questions. Uh, in multi-agent learning research. So talking a little bit about the multiplayer games in, in Malmo. So Malmo is, is a platform that allows you to have uh, multiple multiple games. Um, and, and the idea is this, this is pretty similar to some of the other uh, projects we have seen in the literature, um, like very well-known um, frameworks, like uh, for instance, AIL, the arcade learning environment, where you can uh, play multiple, just uh, create agents to play in multiple games. Uh, things like uh, the GVGI engine, uh, which or framework that allows you to play multiple two-dimensional arcade games in a way similar to uh, to Ale, um, and then uh, some other new frameworks that we're working on, and actually we have a tutorial uh, later on, uh, which is uh, Stratega, which is one for strategy games. And essentially, what these frameworks have in common is that you it's a common interface for having uh, for having the possibility of creating agents, training agents that can play multiple games at the same time, therefore abstracting from the specifics of particular games and focusing more on the, let's say, AI side of it, the, the actual core elements, the actual uh, core uh, AI that is behind uh, the reasoning that happens in this uh, in these environments, right? So by providing multiple environments that are also parameterizable, you have multiple levels for different environments, what you can essentially can have is, is a more general uh, training um, for uh, for your AI agents. In, in particular, Malmo is also looking at after this sort of um, goal. Uh, it was originally developed by um, well, Matthew Johnson, Kenny Hoffman, Tim Harton, and David Bignell. Uh, that they present the Malmo platform. And in case you don't know about it, Malmo platform is essentially based on Minecraft, uh, and that naturally brings all the benefits uh, and all the capabilities that Minecraft has. Uh, like you can very easily uh, create multiple worlds, multiple um, levels, uh, goals within those levels, the, all the uh, different um, not tiles or cubes with different um, uh, materials that form a world. And it can be as complex as you know Minecraft can be. And, and all this is, is packed into this uh, project called Malmo. And you can actually find it uh, open source on GitHub. So this uh, Malmo way has is, is it has uh, is following uh, very concrete design principles, right? It's meant to be a very low entry barrier, uh, although you can do many things with it, right? Uh, allows you to do multiple um, 
uh, use multiple languages. You can use uh, Java.NET, C, C, C++, and so on. Uh, use multiple platforms. You can work it on Windows, Linux, uh, or Mac OS. Um, and what it does, as I said, is just give you this API for uh, playing multiple games uh, with, with different agents. And it brings everything that Minecraft brings to the, to the play, like all the creation of tasks uh, for, for your agents. Um, and it's not only based uh, on this idea of uh, going for multiple uh, environments, multiple levels, multiple tasks, uh, but it also uh, brings the possibility of um, having multiple agents in it. So you can have multiple uh, AI agents participating at the same time uh, in, um, in a game, either a competitive manner or a collaborative manner. And you could even bring humans as well. And in fact, there's been competitions in which the objective was to show how can you create an agent that is able to collaborate with a human uh, in order to achieve uh, some particular tasks. Uh, these tasks actually can be defined uh, using XML. Uh, and this task, you can define uh, multiple parts of the of the task. Like for instance, you can decide how the level is going to look like. You can either you can have generators for these levels, but you can also incorporate specific places, uh, specific cubes in in the in the level. Uh, and you can also have uh, external tools that allow you to import um, different worlds that you can, you are going to be playing with. And then for the agents themselves, you can specify the, the actions that they're going to be able to do and the reward system, which essentially allows you to define large MDPs, which are going to be the base for, in case you want to train RL agents, uh, and allow you to, to do so in this environment. And of course, there's lots of people creating games for, for Malmo and Minecraft, uh, and all of these can be used for your agents. So, so you can imagine the possibilities that you're going to have for three-dimensional um, games in which you have a first person view of player. So you have uh, personality as well. Uh, you might have multiple agents playing these games and as complex as uh, the things that you can define in Malmo or in Minecraft can be. So this is a short introduction to Malmo. Uh, now I'm going to move to Marco, who's going to uh, be talking about some of the games that are available uh, in the platform uh, for doing AI research. Thank you very much, Diego. Uh, just a second to share my screen. All right, I hope you can all see this and hear me well. Yep. So, hello everybody, my name is Marco and I'm going to be talking about different games that we already have in Malmo. These are all multi-agent games and we will start off with the Mob Chase. So the Mob Chase is the first game that I'm going to show you. And it's basically a game where a couple of agents, two or more agents need to cooperate in order to be able to catch a mob. So this game was also known as Big Chase, and it was held as a Microsoft Collaborative AI Challenge. And in order to reduce the amount of scan screened bots, we also implemented a level generator, so a procedural level generator, so that every time you run the game, the obstacles are, are in a different place. Uh, here, you get a large reward if you manage to catch a mob. You also get a small penalty for every step that you take in the environment, so you cannot really just chase the mob indefinitely. And for that reason, you also see these green blocks or places in the map. And those are the places where you can opt to get out of the game and receive a small reward instead, which might be a good choice if your uh, partner does not want to cooperate. All in all, the agents have three actions. So they can move forward, they can move backwards, and they can turn. And the observation they're, they, they're getting are purely visual, although you can add some symbolic representation to the observation if you want as well. In order to adjust the difficulty of the game, you can change the time, weather, 
conditions, you can change the number of types of mobs so that your agent cannot just learn to follow the pink thing or the black thing. They need to have some resemblance of what the mob is. You can change the number of block types, number of exits, number of obstacles, and probably most importantly, size of the play area. So you can change the difficulty for your needs. You have around 6 million different types of configurations, not including the levels that are generated. And mob chase specifically targets skills such as exploration, navigation, chasing, and also cooperation. The next environment that we're going to look at is called Build Battle. You might be familiar with Build Battle if you play Minecraft. That's a very popular game where you are shown a structure and then you need to replicate this structure on another place on the map. So here the agents are shown a building and they need to rebuild that on another place on the map and they are competing to do so. They have actions such as movement, rotation, jumping, but they also can place blocks and they can remove blocks as well. For every correctly placed block, they get a small reward. For every incorrectly placed block, they lose some, some points and they get a large reward at the end if they completely finish the building. Similarly to the previous one, we have a couple of parameters that you can change. You can change the dimensions of the structure, the time limit that the agents have to make the, these structures. You can change the block types that they use to make the structures and also the distance between the players and the target structure that they need to build. To modify difficulty, there is also a possibility for you to set the percentage of the structure that is pre-built for the players so that they don't need to start from the scratch. For example, this is one of the environments that we see agents struggle the most. And finally, we have Treasure Hunt. Uh, Treasure Hunt is a game that is probably the most complex mission that we have right now. It's an asymmetric game, which means that we have a couple of different agents. Uh, for this environment, we have a collector agent. The goal of the collector agent is to go and gather these brightly colored blocks, so also known as treasures, so these purple, red, green thingies, and to collect them and go to the exit. But the problem is that we have a lot of enemies in the level as well, so the other agent called the protector has a goal of actually protecting the collector while he's doing his job. So here we have a granular reward. So for every treasure that the collector gets, both agents get some points. If one of the agents actually die, they get a penalty. And the final reward is if they reach the exit on the other side. Similarly to the previous ones for treasure hunt, we have a lot of parameters that you can configure. We have number of enemies, we have different block types, treasures, different level of armor for the protector player, the size of the area as well, number of rooms. In the previous example, we see that there are only one room examples, but you can easily modify to make this a multi-room dungeon with various complexity to increase the difficulty. All in all, we have around 3 billion different level configurations, but you can also use sets of agents. You can have teams of these uh, protector and collector agents at the same time to have some combination of collaborative and also competitive notion in the game. So these are the three examples that we are showing right now. They pose a wide variety of challenges from chasing to puzzle solving to collaborative chasing and fleeing and attacking at the same time. But we welcome you to create any type of environment that you would like. You can try to create an agent that plays only one of these environments, two of these environments, or all of these environments at the same time. Thank you very much for listening. And I'm going to hand it off to Martin, who will show us how to actually create these agents 
and let them play these games. Thank you, Marco. Uh, yeah, just quickly share my screen. Do you see my screen and hear me correctly? Yes. Okay. So as Marco said, I'm going to talk about how to train reinforcement learning agents on these missions. So this is going to be a bit more technical. So just for a reminder of what reinforcement learning is. So we have an environment. In this case, it's Minecraft. So this is a 3D environment, which is usually procedurally generated. And the agent gets a first-person view of the world. And the agent can take actions. And taking actions gives the agent the next observation and the reward. So in the simplest case, some of this mission provide the action space might be moving forward, rotating 90 degrees to the left or right. And the reward might be minus one and one. So minus one if the agent fails the mission in the given time frame or dies, or positive one if the agent successfully completes the mission. But the action and the reward space is defined in the mission file. So these are very customizable. So we have some code on the, with the examples that I'm going to talk about. So you can use the QR code to get to the GitHub repository, or you can take this link. So hopefully if somebody could post this link, that would be great. And also we posted a link in the Discord. I know that this isn't the Microsoft repository, but this is at the GAG research. Okay, so setting up Malmo is the first step to get started with Malmo. Uh, so to do that, you need Java 8 and Python 3 installed. Um, Java 8 is a very strict requirement because Malmo uses an older version of Minecraft, which might fail with newer versions of Java. So I just want to know that, that if you have newer versions of Java, you might run into this issue. Um, once you have those de de dependencies, you just have to clone the repository and you can install it with pip. And optionally, if you want to run the examples, then you can install the example sub package. But you can find more instructions on the project's readme. And if you want, you can look at the notebooks while I'm talking about some of the main parts. So we actually have five notebooks that I'm going to talk about. The first one is about how to create a a Malmo environment, um, just use a random agent that randomly samples actions in that environment. And then the next four examples are going to be using RLlib. And the first one is going to be just how to train a PPO agent. And the next two is just restoring and evaluating that agent that we trained. And finally, I'm going to talk about how to actually run the multi-agent experiment. Okay, so let's get started with the running the random agent example. So in this case, we have to initialize the environment where we provide the mission file as an XML. So that's the missions that Marco was talking about. And we just need to find our XML definition. And we also need the port numbers. And once we have that, we, we use this launcher, which is 
new in this repository. So before that, you had to start all the Minecraft instances in Java and then connect them with the correct port numbers. And this launcher that we implemented creates the instances for you. And you just have to provide a list of the, or the array of the ports that you, you wish to use and the launch script. So the launch script is very useful because Minecraft usually wants to render a window and that doesn't always possible. For example, if you want to train it on a headless server or a cluster, it might not have a monitor, so it cannot display anything and it fails. So to get around this issue in the launch script, you can provide additional options. For example, you can use XVFV to create a fake display. And once you have the instances, it can act as a normal reinforcement learning environment. So you can reset the environment. Um, we take the random actions by sampling the action space while we don't get the done signal. Uh, so to explain how the launcher works, I think yeah, it's useful to know. So Minecraft requires, so each instance of Minecraft requires its own directory to run. So the launcher creates copies of Minecraft in the temporary directory. And with the launch script, it initializes all of them on that specific port that's provided for that instance. And you don't really have to worry about all of this because it's only just one line to call this launcher because the first one here is just to define the port numbers for each instance. Okay, so before I get into the next examples, I want to mention what RLlib is. So RLlib is part of the Ray project, which you might have come across if you program in Python, because it's a very popular library for parallelizing Python code. And RLlib provides high quality the easily scalable reinforcement learning algorithms. So I think easily scalable is what's important here because you can run the same code on your laptop as you do with, on a cluster. Um, you just have to specify how much resource you have. So how many CPUs or GPUs you want to use. Another good thing is that it supports both TensorFlow and PyTorch. So for example, if you want to implement your custom neural network architectures, or you want to experiment with a new update function of your policy, then you can choose which framework you want to use. So running a PPU agent in Momo is quite straightforward. We can use RLlib's Tune API to define an experiment. And in the experiment, we, we can define the algorithm that we want to use as a string and that automatically loads all the necessary um, functions for it. So for example, I can replace PPO with DQN here if I want, or even I, we can make custom policies to do it. Um, then we set the configuration, which defines the resources that we have available. Um, finally, we can set some stopping criteria, for example, how many steps we want to take in the environment and some checkpointing settings, for example, we can set it to make a checkpoint at every certain iterations of the algorithm. Um, once we train an agent with PPO, 
our RLIP, then it automatically creates TensorBoard output. So it's very useful to monitor all the training. For example, here, training on the mob chase mission, a single player mob chase mission. We can see that the mean length of the episodes and the mean and the maximum rewards increases, which is a good sign. Um, once it's trained, we can also observe what policy we get. Um, so in this case, the animation looks a bit strange because the action space is rotating 90 degrees and going forward. So there is no immediate, the intermediate animation between the rotations. So that's why it's a bit strange. But the goal here is to get to the brick block because it's single player and it cannot corner the mob by itself. So moving on, we can restore a trained agent. Uh, so that can be useful. For example, if you trained it on a cluster and you want to visualize how the agent plays the game, you can just take the checkpoint file that, that's on the cluster. Um, you can rewrite how many uh, CPUs and GPUs you want to use locally. And for example, you can optionally uh, set the exploration, so switch it off. Um, so you can override the parameters. Um, then similarly to the previous example, we can use the same API, but here instead of, so we have this additional argument called restore where we just provide the checkpoint file and we use the updated config. And for example, if you trained on a cluster without any visuals, you can load the same checkpoint and see it with visuals on your own computer. So I think that can be very useful, but it doesn't give the same flexibility as somebody might wish. So that's why we also have a script for evaluating an RL agent, which actually accesses the policy of the agent. So for this, we need to load a specific agent's trainer. So as we train a PPO agent, we need a PPO trainer with the config, and then we can restore it manually. And we can access the agent's policy by calling trainer.getPolicy. And after setting up the environment, you can, we can do a normal reinforcement learning loop where we can call policy.computeActions. And that doesn't just return the, the past action according to the agent, but it also returns other quantities such as the whole action distribution, or for example, for DQ, and it returns also the Q values. Uh, so it can be very useful to actually understand what the agent has learned and how it does in the environment. Uh, so before I get into the multi-agent example, I want to explain how the multi-agent setup works. So we created this multi-agent wrapper, which wraps multiple Minecraft instances together, because when we have multiple agents in the same environment, one of the instance of Minecraft has to act as a server and the other agents or the other instances connect to the server instance as client. And the, the smart agent wrapper automatically does that. So it sets all the roles and it does which instance should be the server and handles all the actions on the step, stepping function. Uh, so 
yeah, it's not necessary to know what happens here, but the multi-agent environment has a new creator function. Here we just have to define the server ports and that defines which agent is going to be on which port and that wraps the environment. And to make it visible for RLlib, we have to register the environment. So moving on to the next slide. Uh, so this example looks a bit longer than the single player example, but actually it's not much longer. The difference is that here in the config, I manually defined all the entries here. So we only have this extra multi-agent uh, setting that we need to define. And here we just define how the policies are shared between the agent agents. So for example, if we have two agents, they may have the same shared policy. So that means that they have the same neural network architecture with the same parameters, but we can imagine it as two copies of the same agent in the same environment. So they don't share the observations or any other information. Um, to initialize that, we need to also set the observation space and the action space. Um, once we trained one of these agents, we can uh, visualize them. So on the left side, uh, we can, so that's going to be the server agent because that's the larger window. And the other one is going to be the instance, the, the client. Um, we can see them in action. So this is the two player mob chase mission. And in this case, they have to either corner the pig or chicken, or they can decide to default and go to this sand tile. Um, in this case, they decide to just navigate to the sand tile and default. It's not very interesting. And in the next session, next section, Sam is going to talk about how agents can collaborate. Um, and just to sum up what you can find in this repository, we have the launcher, uh, which I believe is very useful because you don't have to worry about all these Java processes and how to start them. There is also a, an updated pip package and some documentation. We also, so it also contains the notebooks that I've just ran through. And there are also some script versions of the same, not with the same functionality as the notebooks. So if you don't like the notebooks and you want to just reuse it, it for your own project, you might find the script version much more helpful. There are some additional helper functions, for example, observation wrappers, uh, for it, that normalizes the screen and resize it. We also have the video recorder. So at the single agent PPO example, I've shown you that GIF that was recorded using the video recorder. And there is also a symbolic representation extractor for the single player mob chase mission. Uh, that's not very general because it's very mission specific, but you might find it useful if you want to extract symbolic representation from another mission. And finally, we also provide two PPO checkpoints for both single and two-player mob chase missions. They are not very high quality, but they might be useful to play with the notebooks or get started with Marmo. Um, now let me 
hand it over to Sam, who is going to talk about learning to collaborate. Thank you, Martin. Uh, just take over the screen, Sharon. Try to take over the screen, Sharon. Yeah, I stopped sharing. Should work now. There we go. Um, my slides coming through. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks all. Uh, okay, so in this final section of the tutorial, I'm going to cover some of the more sort of fundamental problems when moving from single agent to multi-agent reinforcement learning. Uh, and then I'll close with some of our recent research that provides scalable approaches to learning coordinated policies in these complex games. So when we, when we ran this as a competition, as uh, back in 2018, uh, we found that most of the participants that took part uh, either directly applied single agent methods from imitation learning or from reinforcement learning to these multiplayer tasks. However, there's an issue with this. Uh, when you have multiple individual learners in a single environment, then the environment appears non-stationary to any one of them. Uh, this breaks a fundamental assumption of most reinforcement learning algorithms, uh, particularly because the same observation and actions for an individual will now map to different outcomes because the other policies, the other agents' policies have been updated. This causes all sorts of issues, even if you're using like a replay buffer, for instance, all of that data that's in your replay buffer from past experiences is now obsolete because the other agents' policies have changed, so your same state in action is going to map to a different value. One naive approach to overcome this, uh, we can just do a joint action learner, right? We can group all of the agents together and we can learn together. And then this essentially becomes a single agent problem. Um, however, when you do so, you have an exponential increase in the state action space with every agent that you add. You can overcome this with, in, to some extent with factorized critics and applying attention mechanisms to, to focus on, on the particular interactions that are important. Um, but for us and the goals that we're trying to seek out in this environment, um, there's a bigger issue, and that is that it's it's pretty much cheating, right? Um, these games are designed for the players to be playing independently from a limited viewpoint. If we have one centralized controller for all of the non-player characters in the environment, and they're all sharing information at the time that they're running, then they're getting privileged information that a player wouldn't have access to. And that's that's something that we don't want from these agents. We want them to perceive the world in the same sort of way that a human player would. Now, one sort of compromise that, that can make, um, that can work within those constraints and still get good performance is the paradigm instead of centralized training and decentralized execution. So in this setting, we do group everything at, at training time and, and we, share, uh, we share observations amongst the agents whilst they're training together. But we do it so in a way that when we deploy, we can have the agents learn policies that act independently. Uh, the typical way to do this is you have an actor-critic algorithm uh, and you centralize the critic, but not the policy networks. So the critics receive information from all the other agents. If there's so many of them that this exponential growth and stay action space is a problem, then you may factorize or, or use attention mechanisms. But we have that centralized critic that is only using used during training time. Uh, and that gets information from all, all agents on the states and their actions. So you take away the non-stationary problem. And then we train policies off of that that act independently. Um, this is already implemented in RLib, 
So if you want to try out this approach, it's already there in the code base that we provided. And it would be uh, my first bed way of making progress on making agents that play these games more collaboratively with agents together. However, when it doesn't work, uh, you, you can help have situations such as this, uh, which is where we have the multi-agent credit assignment problem. So we have an, an instance here from one of our mob chase examples uh, where these two agents are trying to capture pigs in the arena. One of the agents has caught the pig and the other agent is staring in the corner. Um, here, because they're rewarded as a team, they would both get a positive reward for this scenario, which could lead the agent in the corner to conclude that, uh, that it was doing something useful and so positively reinforce that, that behavior. Where in reality, only agent one in the far corner that's captured the pig is actually doing anything useful. So instead, we should just reward that agent. Um, so how, how do we properly assign credit in this setting is a recurring challenge. One approach and something that I've been involved in a number of times um, is this is version of difference rewards, um, where instead of rewarding the agent uh, with the global team reward, we reward each agent for their contribution. This was first introduced by David Wolpert and Karl Tumer in a 1999 NASA Tech report under the name of the Wonderful Life Utility. Formally, we see the definition in the middle, which is just that the, the difference reward is the difference between the global reward and what it would have been if that agent hadn't acted or had followed a default policy. This is a multi-agent specific form of reward shaping designed to remove the noise created by the actions of other agents in the environment. This was a highly successful method and has been applied for over a decade of applications in a wide range of collaborative games where the reward function is known. So when you have direct access to the reward function and you know how to manipulate it so that you can get this um, uh, agent, agent dependent contribution reward. Obviously, if we're training from pixels, that becomes challenging, right? How, how to, to do that is more, is harder. So, we can instead look at learning the reward function so that we can query it to, to um, calculate the, these different rewards from that global team reward. The first paper I'm aware of on that, that line of thinking was by Mitch Colby, Khan and colleagues at Oregon State University at Armas 2014 that proposed learning the reward function and then constructing the difference reward from the learn reward function. Jacob Forrester and colleagues at Oxford then took this forwards to AAAI and they won the best paper award for the, the well-known COMA approach, which brings this into the deep reinforcement learning era by utilizing that centralized credit that we talked about earlier on. However, this approach learns a joint Q value, which can be prohibitively challenging. So recently we, we proposed returning to learning the reward function instead for, for doing that differencing, but again, place this in the, uh, the deep reinforcement learning setting. To study this, we first consider a small version of our mob chase game, uh, where these agents are trying to capture the pig pictured in red. Um, by using the small, smaller game, we're able to directly compare against the pre-deep learning methods uh, and those methods that directly manipulate the reward function. So a set of results here with free agents, we see that all methods perform well, um, but in particular, I'd like to emphasize our dark blue line, which is the doctor reinforce method where it is learning the reward function and the green line, which is the doctor reinforce method where it directly manipulates the reward function like things were done classically. And we see that 
even when we are learning the reward function, it only takes a few more training episodes for this to reach the same performance as the, the agent that can directly manipulate and calculate the difference reward. Uh, we also see that we, we outperform a number of the, the pre-existing methods, including COMA and the work by Mitch Colby on learning the reward function at this particular instance. However, the effect size are relatively small. Um, where we begin to really see the benefit of this is as we start to scale. And so as we scale, particularly in the number of agents, we see that this effect size becomes larger and larger. Um, and this, this is in part due to the issues of learning Q. So we're trying to learn a centralized Q with COMA, uh, for a large number of agents, we have an exponential growth in the state action space, and then that becomes a challenge for uh, learning a centralized Q value across multiple agents. However, there is still a gap, and there's a great opportunity space here between the green line and the dark blue line to really close that gap of um, how, how do you actually reproduce the performance of that agent that can directly calculate uh, the difference rewards. We're still exploring the causes of these differences and how these now uh, scale to the more complex environments, uh, but this is uh, an open uh, opportunity for people to apply this to the Minecraft tasks we talked about earlier on. And now I'd like to turn to a slightly different problem. So in the competition, we asked people to train agents that played well in a team together. And we got a number of agents that played well together. Right? So we've got two different teams here and they both play well uh, together. But what we noticed was that when we paired them up um, with other agents that they didn't train with, so we took two agents that play well in their own teams, they don't play well together when they get matched up with an arbitrary other agent that plays well. But it's even more extreme than that. If you pair two agents that are exactly the same code base, typically a deep, deep reinforcement learning code base, and you train them, retrain them, so different random seeds, then you can end up with policies that are not compatible and don't play well together. Essentially, each one has converged to a different uh, protocol. Uh, they're, they're expecting other things of their teammates, and so they, they do not collaborate well together. This was first proposed, as I'm, aware, as I'm aware of, by uh, Peter Stone and colleagues at AAAI 2010 as the ad hoc teamwork problem. Uh, more formally, this extends the normal multi-agent MTP objective by including an expectation over the other possible agents that you might be playing with. Essentially, this is a single agent learning problem within a multi-agent system. To go off after this problem, uh, we, we proposed this agent that can be broken down into four simple stages. First, we observe the behavior of the other agents in our environment. This can be done online whilst the agent is learning. That's what we did in this paper. Uh, or it can be done from a batch of past data, for example, replays of human players. Our network architecture includes an information bottleneck through which these observations must be compressed. This is because we had previous work uh, that showed that this was beneficial for learning policies that are better at generalizing. From that compressed representation, we then attempt to predict the future actions of the other agents. The error in these predictions can then be used to update parameters in the blue encoder to maximize the information retained from the observation that is needed to predict future actions. Critically, we do not base our policy off of any of these predictions. Uh, at test time, when this agent is deployed, we throw away all the predictions because they are very likely inaccurate, right? The important thing that we get away from training on this auxiliary loss is this intermediate representation of the other agents in our environments, okay? We get a compressed representation that contains four values. 
I intended to summarize our agent's belief over the other agent's overall play style. So one of these is sampled per episode. So based on what you've seen of the other player, what, what sort of class of player do you expect them to be? And another one that is sampled per time step, which is trying to capture moment-to-moment -moment changes. So perhaps there's something in a particular class where somebody tracks a particular variable and we want to try and capture that and somehow cover some uncertainty over it. We then condition our policy on these beliefs so that the actions they choose in a state also depends on what they currently believe about the other agents. If those beliefs are currently highly uncertain, our agent may learn to perform information gathering actions to infer more about how the others are playing. Or if it's a critical stage of the game, they may choose to act despite this uncertainty. So if there's something more important than learning about your teammate at that time, something that is absolutely critical to the success of the team, the agent can learn to take that action regardless of the uncertainty. Either way, the agent now adapts to the other ends in its environments instead of assuming that they will adapt to accommodate the agent. It's the overall approach. Uh, this was published at Armas 2021. And there's a link to the paper on archive there. I'll just try to make this a bit more concrete with some of the remaining time. So again, we, we use a smaller uh, multiplayer game to, to test this out initially. And <clears throat> in this game, we have two agents that have to collaborate to collect coins to take to the bank. The red coins need to go to the red bank, the blue coins to the blue bank. We only control the one agent that has the little thought bubble there. The other agent is from a, a set of agents that are following different behaviors. So our agent must learn to recognize what the other agent prefers to do. Some prefer specific coin colors, some prefer to get um, coins based on their relative distance. And so to play well with that whole set of other possible collaborators, you have to recognize them uh, and adapt your policy to them. We compared our agent, Melaba, against two baseline approaches. So first, the, the dashed gray line shows the performance of a model-free agent with a feed-forward network that simply learns an average best response to all agents it trained with. Doing so will often lead to a safe policy that gets some reward but doesn't benefit from coordinating with the other agents. And so their average return, as you can see, is very low compared to the other approaches. The next one we compared to, the green line, uh, shows a previous meta-learning approach, RL squared, that uses a recurrent policy. This compresses its previous observations of the other agents into an intermediate representation, but does not attempt to predict the other agent's future actions. The gain in performance we see between RL squared and both variants of Melaba shows that it's beneficial to explicitly model the other agent. We can also probe a little deeper. Uh, so if we look closer at the internal representation learned by these networks, uh, we see another key difference here. So here, we take the train policy at various time steps throughout learning. We fix the weights of the network of the agent. Then we train a separate classifier to predict from this intermediate representation what agent it's playing with. So for this probe, we do give the explicit class of the other, other agents, but that information is never available to, to our agent or any agent at try, training time whilst it's learning its policy. It's just for this, this probe. With this approach, it's possible um, to accurately predict from the intermediate representations learned by Melaba what type of agent we are playing with. So we see the very high accuracy for the, uh, the pink and purple lines at the top. However, with RL squared, um, we cannot suggest this. it's not building a reliable understanding of the other agent, which is limiting how well it can play with them. This is shown by the accuracy that is there. That's because it's not trying to make any predictions about future agents. It's just observing everything, compressing it via, via the LSTM. 
Again, uh, we're still looking at, at scaling up this approach. Uh, we've chosen methods that can in principle be scaled up, but we haven't explored that. And we'd be very keen to see from the community if anybody tries out these methods within those Minecraft games. Um, just to close, I'm going to summarize some of the core, core challenges for multi-agent that we've talked, multi-agent learning that we've talked about today. First of all, we talked about the non-stationarity problem if you have multiple individual learners. Uh, we then talked about the curse of dimensionality issue if you have a joint action learner that, that, that tries to control all of these agents. Uh, we talked about the multi-agent credit assignment problem and reviewed some of the work on difference rewards that uh, contribute towards uh, rewarding an agent for their direct contribution. And then finally, we talked about player modeling for the ad hoc teamwork problem, where we instead try to train agents that can play well with any other agent. I, I add a couple of references here. These are two survey papers that I think provide together provide a very complete view of uh, um, work in this space and a good way to for anybody that's interested in learning more to find references for throughout both the, the pre-deep learning era with the uh, 2008 survey paper by Bustanu. Um, and then uh, a great one by Pablo, uh, 2019, updated this to a deep RL setting. Um, so together they, they find a nice sort of overall coverage of approaches, both deep learning and prior to, prior to that. Uh, the approaches that I've covered today have not been tested in the multi-agent Minecraft tasks uh, that my collaborators presented earlier. So I invite everyone on the call today to try these approaches out and would love to hear of any learnings this audience gain from such experiments. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much for a great tutorial. So we have some time for questions. I already saw that there's uh, some active chat. And also, I think um, uh, if you want to check out the Discord channel. But um, yeah, if anybody has questions, please just uh, let me know. And I'll try to uh, promote you to ask that question. I'm catching up with the chat now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe already all the questions were asked. Very intrigued by Connor's suggestion about audio chat with human players. I, I think there's a rich possibility space there. Like you you're so so one of the things that we we're very motivated by in the ad hoc setting is about moving towards that playing with human players, right? So playing with other agents uh, is a stepping stone towards that because we don't want to have to train an agent specifically to any one instance of a human, right? Particularly if we're talking a deep RL reproach with millions or billions of training episodes, right? That's not going to be feasible with, with every human player that you want to play with. Uh, so being able to generalize over agents is a stepping stone for us towards being able to play well with any human player. Uh, audio is going to add in a whole other layer of complexity, right? That's that's an, a whole other thing that you have to interpret. Um, love to get to that stage. Similarly, Lucian uh, picked up on agents developing their own language, which is absolutely a challenge. I see Marco's given a good example of that uh, in Hanabi. 
I don't know if I'm if I'm maybe uh, if I missed that part, but do, do you guys also um, think about incorporating some form of uh, like PCG that could allow the agents to somehow scaffold easier learning? Yeah, so um, for all the multi-agent tasks, we we have uh, PCG generators for for those tasks, um, all created by Reluca based off of her experience with G GPG AI. Uh, so that was very much for. Uh, just generalization across different instances of the tasks. We haven't done anything in this setting with more like the curriculum, like generating towards scaffolding a curriculum. Um, yeah, it could be very interesting doing something like like poet, but in uh, in this kind of multi-agent Minecraft setting where you have these environments getting more and more complex. Be cool. Yeah, and for, for the multi-agent as well, I see it is particularly interesting on, so a, a large part of the generalization, again, has been around training over the set. So increasing that, that training set. Um, but again, we didn't do anything towards a curriculum of like the other policies that you might play with, which could be particularly challenging, right? If you had a very uh, skilled collab collaborator, then it would be easy for the agent to learn to just sit back and do nothing because your collaborator is going to do anything, do everything. So again, there might be a curriculum of policies that you want to play with uh, to progressively build it up. Uh, so Ansi asks about um, human players playing with Malmo agents. Um, We've played with them. <laughs> uh, we haven't done anything more more rigorous than that in 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 on that side. But uh, there was a paper that Katya Hoffman was involved in uh, using using Malmo as a tool, looking at how children interact with uh, virtual agents. It was a Wizard of Oz study. There there wasn't an actual agent that was doing it, but the study was much around like how do how do children want to inter interact with these these agents. Uh, I think that was a Kai in 2016, 2017. See Martin and Marco actively responding to people. So if they want to jump on camera and, uh, and voice as well, it'd be maybe we could take some of that conversation live. So there's some good suggestions on the um, the Southern Lombardo RL book and the spinning up stuff from OpenAI. If you prefer videos, I'd, I'd also add to that David Silver's lecture series from UCL is still online. Uh, it's a fantastic series of, of talks. Quite quite closely follows the Southern Lombardo book in format, but uh, good complementary, particularly if you prefer uh, video presentations for that. Uh, silver, uh, I'll put it in the chat.
All right, maybe that's, well, there are more questions, so maybe that's it. Um, oh, I have a question. Okay, great. Connor has one. Should I, uh, do you want to ask it um, a chat or should I um, give you the, allow you to talk, Connor? I just press it, you can decide. Yeah, you should be able to, I think now you can talk. Yes, I believe so. Right. Hello, first of all, uh, thanks for the tutorial. I feel like I learned a lot more about reinforcement learning compared to the, the abstract that I heard about it every now and then. I was wondering about the, and engaging. the one question that I asked about the, like the natural language processing. Is there any way that a similar situation could be like a human agent could motivate a computer agent to certain behaviors, like you could be in the middle of a human computer agent interaction, and then you would say, hey, computer agent, I'm in trouble, come help me. And then the agent would like shift their behaviors to doing a certain type of task within the game as opposed to whatever they were doing before. Or is that too specific to be a possibility? No, I, I think that's a, a really good vision for the way uh, we can do it. So, so a couple of challenges that I really see towards that. One is um, how to encode the audio into a representation that can be a sort of co uh, common communication protocol. So for, for the agent to be able to interpret it. And the mm -hmm. second is around how would you want the agent to react to that? I think people are going to vary on this a lot because um so the the other project that i linked to is like a team-based game where uh two teams play against each other compete competing as well and there we thought about it in terms of um would you want your teammate to do what you say even if that's actually if even if they know that that's detrimental to the team performance or would you want your agent to maybe not blindly follow what you as the player say and help the team achieve more and I think it, it, it's a really interesting perspective because I think it depends a lot on what the players like how how is the player motivated what are they driven to want to do within the game um and how they want to interact with those around them uh, and, and so I think it's an interesting balance as to to what sort of outcome you actually want from that setting um but yeah on, on the technical side it, it's very much about how how do you encode how do you encode the audio in that space? Um, there's some nice work by Felix Hill in particular around and, and the team that he works with um, around sort of uh, encoding and then conditioning policies off of natural language instructions. Um, but yeah, for, for us, it, I, I'm really curious as to what's the right player experience to enable with that. Okay. So I might have focused too heavily on the audio aspect, but if it was just like written instructions, like suggestions to the agent, is that far more attainable by comparison? Yeah, I, um, I, I put them in comparable given okay. the, the quality of uh, speech to text at this point. Um, I put them in the comparable one, it's, but it's definitely a research topic. There's definitely open space for, for doing well in that setting, particularly because uh, trying to ground the language um into the same so that the agents understanding what sort of objects are being referred to um can be challenging but yeah i i'd really recommend felix hill as somebody to to check out that got some really exciting work in that space 
All right. Uh, thank you. No worries.